KFC has teamed up with Tinder to show off its new sauce. What? So you, do you know what Tinder is? <laughs> so I I did my research, spent a few hours on it of work time. On Tinder? To, no. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? So I saw a headline, Justin, the other day that LeBron invested in pickleball. He purchased a professional pickleball team. This is what we're going. We're immediately doing a pickleball callback. A million things. A million things we could be talking about right now. It's beautiful fall weather in Michigan. Maybe peak color. Halloween's on the way. Great pickleball and weather, wouldn't you say? I if if you are if you're that type, if that's what you're into. All right, fine. Hit me. Let's talk more pickleball. I can't believe we're talking about more pickleball. All right. Major League Pickleball. Oh, the MLP. Or as we call it, the MLP. (laughs) On September 28th, announced that it received a seven-figure investment from a group headlined by LeBron James. LeBron's going to make it work. That's a solid investment. I was reading more about it. And apparently when they did the COVID bubble during the tournament back in, was it 2020, 2021? There was a lot of pickleball going on in the, the NBA. So also, I will say, the other day, I was researching, I'm turning 30 next year. Congratulations. And I was researching a place to maybe get to celebrate with family. And I was targeted for an ad for a private indoor pickleball getaway. That was the listing on VRBO. So it's a home that, with a pickleball court in it? It has like a giant indoor shed with a pickleball. <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, listen, I just, I know I'm out of touch here. Yep. Why not just play tennis? It already exists. The courts are already there. It's very Better sport. Very elitist of you. It's not elitist. Actual exercise. It just, it sounds like. Joe's, Joe's literally just going to edit me to sound terrible throughout this entire portion because he's a pickleball player and, and I don't get it. Maybe one day I'll come around. Have you ever played? No. Okay. Maybe we should start there. Maybe. I've also never played. I just. We'll continue to poke at this until it dies. Why don't we kick it to the next segment? All right. Current events. Pineapple Express. We have some hot items in here. You sent me an article today about uh, service fees and the risks that operators have when applying them to customers. Well, this is just, uh, we have this conversation every day with our members, every, literally every day. And our board of directors are talking about this every day. And operators across the state who talk to each other are having this conversation every day. They're all struggling to be profitable. They don't know how to manage dramatically increasing prices. So they're figuring out how some of these service fees that they've just sort of eaten for years, decades, et cetera, usually tied to credit card. That's the one you hear the most. How do they find a way to pivot that back, obviously legally, onto the bill? And so they've looked to us for advice to make sure they do it properly and should they, shouldn't they? Uh, And there's some mixed reviews out there. I think you see the data though that suggests that consumers uh, have some empathy and understanding for your credit card surcharge fees that you that you put back onto the gas three, three and a half percent. 
that's become a little more commonplace. And in this article, I think it shows up in the data that there's more tolerance for that, where there is a bigger challenge and something that this industry is working itself, working itself out in the industry right now is for those who have decided voluntarily to try to pivot to a surcharge model and just throwing 20% surcharges, give or take, sometimes they're 18, sometimes they're 22. You can, you can, everyone's aware of these when you have large parties that they're sort of put on there in advance, but you don't assume that is your party of one or two that you're going to have this at a, at a restaurant, but it's increasingly becoming part of the discussion as well. And a little mixed reviews by consumers. And so this is, this is a discussion for this industry to be having right now of, of how far can they go or should they go uh, when they're trying to keep their own business afloat because they're just not very profitable right now. And it's, there's no perfect answer. There's no easy answer uh, when it comes to this issue, but just, let's just throw some of these numbers out there to put it in perspective, Emily. Well, and I will say, it sounds like it does create some level of confusion for the consumer in terms of, is this a tip? Should I, is, is the surcharge a tip? What number do I tip off of? Do I still tip? So it sounds like transparency in communicating what's happening is key instead of either trying to slide it in on the consumer and they won't notice or just assuming that they understand that what's happening in the industry, even though everyone should be listening to this podcast. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of the time they're, they're sort of vague and maybe, maybe at times intentionally vague when they're put on there. A surcharge is not a tip. Legally, they are two completely different things. And we do not need to go down that rabbit hole of exactly what the difference between the two is. But if you are putting a surcharge on there, then not explaining the situation, guests are uncertain about what they should. They also tip on top of that uh, surcharge that you added, that 20% give or take surcharge, if you are a business that did that. And and here's a little word to the wise. And this this is data from Technomic. Half of consumers said they would be less likely to return to a restaurant if it threw on a 20% service fee uh, on, onto their bill. And 41% said they'd be less uh, likely to recommend it to family or friends. So it's risky. You're in, you are straddling an almost impossible line if you're an operator right now, trying to find ways to squeeze any level of profitability when you see prices rising as quickly and and aggressively as they have been for several months. So that's some interesting data, a conversation that is top of mind. And quite literally, this just, you know, I saw this article and it feels just like the conversations we're having with our members all the time. So if you have not taken that that credit card surcharge, 3%, you can certainly call us. We'll, we'll help guide you through to make sure you're doing it and posting it properly. That certainly has a little more customer buy-in, although I thought this was interesting. The same data uh, survey from Technomics said that even at the 3% rate uh, or three and a half, if, if that's what you're using as a uh, service fee for credit card surcharges, 34% of consumers said they would tip less if they saw a 3% service fee added to the bill. So you got to weigh that in there and, and how that might in, in, interact with uh, with your servers and making sure you're keeping uh, them happy in a challenging environment as well. That kind of leads into another topic we had for Pineapple Express, which is dynamic pricing for restaurants. Are you better off to implement that and then be able to fluctuate your menu prices versus trying to add a surcharge? People you know, might see that line item for the surcharge. More Let's just tra- back this up, Emily. Dynamic pricing. Yes. For anyone listening who might not know what dynamic pricing exactly is for this industry, what does that mean? Okay. Well, it sounds like it's something that has come out of the pandemic again. And my understanding, which I could be wrong, is 
QR codes have kind of helped this as well because you can change your pricing on the fly without having to absorb costs in in reprinting. I don't want to trigger you with the QR code conversation again. It's using technology to to create a flexible pricing model based on demand. And it uses an algorithm to to accomplish that. So what a burrito might cost different prices at different times of the day, depending on the demand surge that's out there. Not not exactly unlike uh, Uber. Yeah. Yeah. What I thought was interesting when I first started reading the article is I thought it was day to day, week to week month or quarter, but it literally is time of day. So if you have breakfast sandwiches in the morning, you could be paying $5 more because they're more in demand in the morning. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that as a customer, but what's your take on it? I mean, it's interesting. I think it's it's worth, I'm not recommending necessarily our members go out and do it, especially if it's going to be a challenge to you. But I'm interesting to see how it plays out with consumers, whether they just build this into their expectations. Mm-hmm. They've built this into their expectations for for using Uber and travel services. And and so it, it, it creates an opportunity, frankly, for the savvy shopper to find opportunities for, for value in the market and a way for the restaurant to better adapt during challenging times to, to make some more money when there's a surge and, and their ability to supply it is harder. It's just more challenged. So I think it's interesting. I think it's inevitable that it's going to at least be tried out, whether it has permanency going forward, I think remains to be seen, but an interesting and worthwhile and inevitable uh, foray with more technology coming into this industry by the day. Yeah. I do think third-party delivery has trained consumers to be used to additional surcharges and things. But it's interesting when you see it on the receipt when you're physically there. I don't know, tying those bo- both of those stories together. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I think of the analog version of this back in my younger 20s drinking days when they had hip bars selling uh, your your local created beverages with the stock market version. There oh, are places yeah. like this in Kalamazoo and a few others that were only popular for a short amount of time. I'm not sure they really changed the market, but... I mean, they had dynamic pricing in, in some sense that as demand was uh, increased for any kind of beer, the price of that beer went up. It drove down prices of other beers, hopefully pushing demand up on some of those beers. Uh, and you could see equilibrium play itself out in real time at, at, at a bar. It, it didn't massively succeed in that in that world. You know, we'll see with technology and, and the use of algorithm if it uh, is is implemented more successfully broadly, more broadly in the industry. They should maybe white label that tech if they can now. Smart. And I'll plug our latest issue of the magazine. The Emerald Magazine is all about technology. So we're right on top of it. All right. A little bit of a lighter topic. I just want your your uh, first impression response to this headline. KFC has teamed up with Tinder to show off its new sauce. What? So you, do you know what Tinder is? <laughs> uh I think I missed the Tinder era, but I think I understand roughly what Tinder is. It's a dating app. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you work for Yum Foods? Yum Taco Bell, Yum Brands, KFC, and some others, but you are perennially fascinated with all marketing techniques coming out. This just being the latest. I think it's just more so the way that they run their marketing and PR. It always catches my eye and I earmark it and say, oh, that'd be funny to talk about on the podcast. I don't understand the collaboration. I get the shock factor. What? What? <laughs> explain to me exactly how these things work together. Okay. So I, I did my research, spent a few hours on it of work time. On Tinder? To, no. Might need to edit that part. Um, on research for this topic. So essentially, if you're on Tinder, you can take a quiz 
about the type of KFC meals and do you like buffalo or ranch and all these different sauces. And then it will pair you with people whose quizzes are similar. And then you can, if you take the quiz, it enters you into a sweepstakes where you can then be entered to go on a date for a VIP backstage experience at a Jack Harlow concert. Do you know who that is? No. Okay. No. Is, Is the date with Jack Harlow? No, it's just at his concert. Oh, is that a good thing? Yeah, he's he's a very popular uh, rapper. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look into it. I'll send you some songs. <laughs> All right, I think that sums up uh, the current event segment. Nailed it. Okay, Justin, do you want to intro this new segment that you came up with? Do I have to? Do I have to title it? You did title it, and I had to Google the definition of this, which I don't know if that says more about you or me. Pineapple plaudits? Yeah. This is just where we're going to give a shout out and a uh, attaboy. Good job. I like it. Poor girl. Poor girl. Sorry. Sorry. Might need to edit that too, Joe. Jeez. Rough, rough, rough segment for me. (laughs) The whole idea, though, is we talk a lot of these national trends that impact the industry. Are we doing enough to really highlight some of the really cool stuff? Locally, I love things that are specific to Michigan operators and individuals specifically tied to Michigan. Pineapple plaudits, staying with the brand and shouting out those in this industry in Michigan. So we're going to start by talking about KFC's partnership with... Oh, we already talked about that. Yeah, we're we're done with that. Raising Cane's. They opened their first location in East Lansing last week and it was a major success. People like chicken a lot. That line was... Absurd. I, it, was, it was people camping out overnight. I Listen, I've had Raising Cane's. The chicken strips are legit amazing. Have you had it? Yes. Not in the state of Michigan, obviously, but they're amazing. And it, But at the end of the day, it is still a fried chicken strip. And to wait overnight in line, I don't believe the weather was great. It's not like it is today, frankly. Yeah, it was snowing last week. Right. So a lot of dedication there, but good signs if you are in the Raising Cane business. Definitely. One of our coworkers went to the soft opening on Monday and brought back some food and it's probably the best chicken tender I've ever had. So I get it. That's why I questioned if you'd had it. That's a pineapple plaudit. Sure is. Okay. The next pineapple plaudit to share is Crystal Mountain and Boyne Mountain, both members of the association, were named best ski resorts in the U.S. for the Midwest region by U.S. News. So that's a big spotlight. Damn right they are. They're both great. Michigan does not get enough credit for being a great skiing state. We all know Boyne. We all know Crystal Mountain. Have you seen, by the way, maybe we even buried the headline here, the new Sky Bridge at Boyne? I've, I have not been. That and- deserves a plot. It, that, that was a spectacular investment by Boyne. And it is, I mean, it's getting a lot of great coverage, but yeah. I, I I need to get my family up there. We want to go be a part of that. Yeah. And with the colors, with the tree color, the way that it is this season, it's, I've seen a lot of social media posts and different videos on it. It looks beautiful. So you're right. You know what? I'm going to clear my calendar tomorrow. I'm, we're going up. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, we'll finish on a more somber note, but an important one. The hospitality industry lost a legend, a superstar. Judy Zender Keller passed away last week. Uh, She helped make Frankenmuth what Frankenmuth is. And that family is full of dedicated hospitality industry professionals and superstars. 
and particularly strong women in that family who who are leaders, innovators, and took that city in that industry to a, a different level. Um, she was honored both by the National Restaurant Association, who we are affiliated with, and the Lodging Association uh, here in Michigan, of which we merged with recently. And um, it's it's a loss for the entire industry, but we are fortunate to have that kind of leadership and have had that kind of leadership in Michigan. So uh, shout out to the entire family and the entire community of Frankenmuth, because uh, Judy was a very special woman and uh, her legacy continues to live on uh, up in Frankenmuth. Absolutely. For fork's sake, there's a lot happening and a not lot, not a lot happening all at the same time, wouldn't you say? Well, that's what happens in election season. We are two weeks away uh, from the big midterm election in Michigan. You can get a sense that it is intense all the way around. You can feel that it, in Michigan is always a close state, right? It, it always feels very 50-50-ish. And there's a lot at stake in Michigan. So uh, no one has really focused their efforts here in the Lansing and on the Capitol. Uh, everyone is in their own districts running for re-election because basically everything is up right now. So I'm sure we we will recap what went down after, but that's why you're not seeing a whole lot going on. We are trying to prepare for what may be what they call a, a lame duck session after the election, but before the end of the calendar year with a lot of things hanging out there that are uh, important to this industry that need to get a, a, across the the finish line. So, Can you explain what a lame duck session is briefly for... Yeah, it's that, it, it is that legislative session. So when the House and the Senate come back in after an election, but before the end of that legislative session, which concludes at the end of the calendar year. So they say lame duck because there uh, theoretically are people here that are either can't running again because of term limits. Uh, so they aren't really accountable necessarily uh, to, to any voters because they're not up for election again or those who are elected currently but lost their re-election and are here until the end of the year but but not after so you know it's a time where some serious legislation gets done because it's hard to do during a, a more standard session it's also a time where some chicanery happens uh, and you never know exactly what is going to happen until it is absolutely 100 percent over it's a wild ride do you love it or hate it both <laughs> uh we do have a laundry list of priorities for when that time comes do you want to hit on a few of those um, just so the industry knows what we're looking out for yeah, we need to see the end of the sunset on cocktails to go. We were one of the first states to get cocktails to go allowed during the pandemic. They become very popular. They're just part, I think we've talked about this on this podcast. They're just part of the industry now. People expect to have that opportunity to get some pre-made cocktails with whatever it is they're ordering delivered or ready for pickup. So that needs to be the right now there's a five-year sunset, which means I think we've got another two years, but right now we're trying to get that done uh, just to play it safe to make sure that that practice goes on. How the liquor control looks back to decide when it issues liquor licenses, it's a complicated issue, but it needs to be streamlined to make this process function in a sane manner. That's certainly on there. We're doing some work on, on trying to prevent local governments from the access. Not that all of them are seeking this opportunity, but you're seeing this in other parts of the country where municipalities are, are creating natural gas bans. Uh, on any new construction. I can't conceive of a restaurant operating without the ability to have natural gas, the use of fire to produce what it does that makes your experience special. A lot of support on both sides of the aisle for that, but we need to make sure we can get that across uh, the finish line. And, you know, listen, we, we, we get a lot of money appropriated for afflicted businesses from the pandemic. Not all that money made its way to those who need it most, which we find a little frustrating, frankly. 
There's been a lot of money put out there for large business. Uh, the SOAR fund has received, I don't know, close to $2 billion. I think we can find some money to help those smallest businesses, which you are still seeing struggling. I saw in Crane's back-to-back days, a 50-year-old banquet service filed bankruptcy, followed by what was a successful restaurant in my hometown of Gloucester. I saw that article. File for bankruptcy. These are these are independents that were there not to be a pandemic were capable of operating without challenges, uh, without needing to file for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. So the struggle still exists. It's real. I'm not sure it's is it's making headlines like it used to, but there's a lot of accumulated debt that this industry has piled up for the reasons we've already talked about. The challenge of making of things. The challenge of profitability, things skyrocketing in costs and debt piling up over two years of the pandemic uh, all combined to make this a very challenging environment. So we're going to keep fighting to make sure some of those dollars get where they need to be. Okay. Question to close it out. What triggers you more? That money having not been allocated yet or just anything to do with pickleball? <sighs> Such a good question. I mean, I feel fairly triggered in general right now. You could you could see me elevating as I t- kept talking about that issue. If you had asked me two or three more questions, I might be shouting in the next 30 seconds. So, you know, I care a lot more about this last issue, about our small businesses and making sure they get what they what they need right now to stay solvent. But, you know, pickleball is just ridiculous. We'll get you there one day. If there's one more segment on pickleball on <laughs> before the end of this calendar year, that might be the end of, of, of Pineapple Express. Let me just say challenge accepted. <laughs> okay, today we have with us Stephanie Congdon, uh, Director of Sales and Marketing of the Historic Landmark Inn, very recently promoted from GM there. Uh, Stephanie has been working in hotels since 2003 and has been a general manager since 05. In the course of her career, she has opened three new build Marriott branded properties, the most recent having opened 3,300% over projected revenues. In 2010, she was recognized as a Diamond GM and soon became an operations training manager for Marriott International, where she traveled around the country to open new hotels and work on conversions. Stephanie then landed on Magical Mackinac Island, where she spent eight years as the GM at the Inn at Stonecliff. And now Stephanie lives in Marquette, Michigan, where she acted as a general manager at the Historic Landmark Inn until very recently when she became director of sales and marketing. When she isn't brainstorming innovative ideas or cultivating the strengths of her leadership team, Stephanie can probably be found volunteering around the community, hanging out with her daughter and pup, or obsessing over English history. So Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We are so happy you're with us for so many reasons. Uh, First of all, you have the signature career in, in this industry, and we want to hear about that. But I am a sucker for Marquette. I love Marquette. I want to hear your thoughts on what it's like to live up there, even when you're getting 25 inches of snow a night. And <laughs> and and a little bit more about the hotel, which is a very special and unique property in Michigan. But let's go all the way back. Let's how did how did you get started, Stephanie, in this industry? And was it the kind of experience that said, that made you say? I think I want to have a career in this industry and that's why you're still in it. Tell us, tell us at the very beginning. Oh, well, I, I think like a lot of people in hospitality, I kind of stumbled into it. I had a background in restaurants and I, I don't know if you remember the restaurant Seville's in the, the Radisson Hotel 
Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So that I was a bartender there and I was standing back there complaining to the other bartenders because they weren't lining their wine bottles up right or something. And my general manager came along and he's like, I'm going to make you a manager. And I was like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And it took a couple months, but they convinced me to become a manager. And I think I was like the the PM restaurant supervisor. And eventually I made my way to the front desk and, and that little financial step I took backwards eventually propelled me into this amazing career that I have today because it only took a couple of years before I was a general manager of my own hotel. And now I have the pleasure of working in beautiful Marquette. I feel like that tees up a conversation about Justin's favorite city in the UP. <laughs> you teed that up well for us. I will shamefully admit I've never been to the Upper Peninsula. Oh, oh. well, I think it's time for a visit. Stephanie, join me in shaming Emily right now. Shame, uh, shame, Emily. It, the, the, you, once you get across the bridge, it actually feels different. The, the road feels different. The scenery is, it is almost like being in a whole completely different state. But you know what? This is a part of Michigan, and I like to call us Michigan's playground. This is where people come to play. It's amazing up here. That makes sense. I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around Emily never having gone across the bridge I might come up in a performance review. (laughs) I just can't. Well, I mean, listen, I was deprived until my mid to late 20s. If you'll afford me 30 seconds, my my love affair with Marquette started. I had just started dating who is now my wife and mother of my three children. And we went to the UP to camp in August. I was maybe 27-ish. And we got flooded out of being able to camp at the site at Taquamanon Falls. So we drove to Marquette two nights earlier than scheduled, stayed at the landmark, put 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 up some cash for someone in their mid-20s who didn't really have it, frankly, at the time. But Marquette welcomed us. It was an amazing experience. We had three nights there. The hotel was exquisite. It was a special experience. I still think about it very fondly. And it is why we go to the UP every single summer with our kids, uh, because that experience was so special. So that's why I was excited to have you on here. So tell me a little bit more about your experience and and maybe we'll get into the landmark a little bit uh, as well, because it is a signature and unique place in its own right. Oh, it really is. I am so lucky and blessed to be able to work at this beautiful property. And, you know, just even looking around outside right now, the colors, I know they're past peak, but to me, they're still peaking. And it's just, it is beautiful everywhere you look. The water is blue, even on rough days, even when the gales of November are upon us, it's still beautiful in its own way. And there's something for everybody. If you're an artist, come and do art. If you're a mountain biker, come and mountain bike. If you like to hike, we got that covered. We got kayaking. I mean, all of the sports, there's no reason for anybody to ever leave the state. And Emily, (laughs) you've never been here before, but if you've gotten, if you've gotten as far as Colorado, Wyoming, California, Texas, all of those, we have everything right here in the UP that you might want in a different state. So there's no reason to ever leave again. I think she's angling for a free hotel room. I think that's what this is really all (laughs) about. Come and see me. We'd love to show you around. (laughs) It's also a great restaurant town. You're right. It is a phenomenal arts community in in Marquette, but it's also a great restaurant town. You have a favorite. I am partial to our own. Uh, The Northland Pub is just the great. We have this amazing burger and uh, our culinary team. And I'd love to tell you about our culinary team because they literally, the chef, who just became the GM in my place, he literally interviewed 
all of the the culinary team and let them each submit their own recipes. And then we all voted on what recipes we wanted to see on the menu. So the menu that we're currently operating is chosen by the actual staff. What do we want to see? What are, you know, we know what our customers are asking for. And it's just delicious. And I love the fact that the whole team had a part in it. This is this is why I'm I'm looking at at some of some of your notes here. You have a 94% employer retention rate. That's sure absurd do. in this industry right now is everyone is jumping jobs for an extra 25 cents an hour if they can get it. Usually it's more. For you to keep that level of uh, uh, that percentage of your employees is amazing, but I hear it in your voice. So what's the secret? You know, I don't really think it's a secret. I think it's something that we've known all along. We have to kind of, back in the days, we were, do you remember the term lobby lizard? A little bit. Have you ever heard that term? We used to, as general managers, we hung out in the front of the house, out in front of the front desk and talked to our customers, made sure we weren't missing out on any business and shaking hands and, you know, being there in case something went wrong. Well, that's kind of shifted now. And we're spending more of our time in the back of the house talking to our team and making sure that they have everything that they need. Is there anything we can do for them? And once you change your focus, everything else just fits in place. Their job is to take care of the customers. So, you know, and as Mr. Marriott said, if you take care of your guests, your guests will, or if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of your guests and your guests will come back to you. So I've sort of adopted that philosophy and this amazing team that I work with, you know, I was, you have to, you would be naive if you went into a job interview thinking that you were interviewing somebody who was going to stick around forever. You know, everybody has dreams and aspirations outside of the hotel, unless they don't. If they want to stick around, by all means, we can mentor them and make sure that that happens. But most people have dreams outside of the hotel. And I started talking to some of my, there's this one girl, for example, I was, I was like, so what's your story? And she's like, well, I just got my master's degree in creative writing. And I'm like, what, what are you doing here? She's like, I don't know. I'm just waiting for my next thing. And I'm like, well, hey, I've got some copy written. Let's go. Um, I've got a journalism major on staff. She handles our press releases. So I'm actually using their strengths and their talents. It's helping them, but it's also helping us and make, certainly making my job a lot easier. I like that. When you said lobby lizard, I'm a registered lobbyist. I just thought that was an attack on me. But uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> that's, that's an old school term. I don't know if they even use that anymore. No, that makes sense. And taking care of the heart of the house and understanding your your team, not as just cogs in a wheel, but actual human beings shouldn't seem like it's a unnecessary plus, but it absolutely is, is necessary these days. And it's great to hear that you have such a strong team over there. And yeah, we, we really do. Speaking of your back of house, we communicated a few weeks ago. You guys do a, is it a staff chosen fundraiser? And it was Ben's friends who has been a podcast guest here. Podcast callback. Yeah. So you guys chose them to do your fundraiser for. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. We are doing a fundraiser in the month of November to raise money for Ben's friends. And I had never heard of Ben's friends before I listened to your podcast. So Mickey, uh, who was a guest of yours recently, I was like, oh, what's this all about? And we got talking about it a little bit at work and, and our kitchen team was like, oh, that's great. We love that. And everybody just jumped on board and they're putting together a nice chef's dinner and 50% of the proceeds are going to go to their cause. So it's it's near and dear to, to a lot of hearts and especially in the kitchen. So we're going to do what we can to raise awareness, especially in the UP. The winters get long and, and lonely. So we just want to make sure everybody's being taken care of. Love it. All right, I got. I'm got to pivot. I, I it, we're we're coming up on Halloween, week away. Oh, yeah. 
How much business do you guys generate by the sense that the belief that the landmark is a haunted property? <laughs> you know, this is my second allegedly haunted hotel that I, I've um, worked in. The, the first was on Mackinac Island, and, and I kind of avoided that conversation. People would ask, are you haunted? And I'd say, well, what do you think? You know, and I would kind of turn it around. But what I've learned in Marquette is people really enjoy the story of our lilac ghost. And the room um, that is allegedly haunted is called the Lilac Room. And this year, we decided to celebrate that a little bit. We actually have a girl on staff who who has created a uniform or a costume and everything. We're doing some fun uh, social media posts in the week during the week of Halloween to celebrate it. But what's really cool is that we there's a an actual picture hanging up in that room. And when you take the picture off the wall, ghost hunters will leave each other notes behind that picture. So you can literally take it off the wall and they'll say whether they had any experiences with the ghost or nothing happened. And sometimes they just say hi. It's It's got probably a hundred little slips of paper in it that have little notes from people. That's very cool. Whether yeah, you're a true cool believer story. in the supernatural a lot, that is, I'm a true believer in, in profitability. And that seems like a great, <laughs> a great recipe. Yeah, it can go, it can go one way or another. Some people might not like that either. So we just kind of, you know, it's there. And if somebody wants to talk about it, we're going to, we're going to tell them what we do know, what the story is of the ghost and they can take it and do whatever they want with it. They can believe it or not. Not to sidetrack the conversation, but there's a book I read this summer by Aline Hildebrand, if you've ever read any of her stuff, called The Hotel Nantucket. And the whole <laughs> concept is there's a ghost that haunts the Hotel Nantucket. So it, I don't know, maybe it was a little bit inspired by the landmark. Oh, I would like that. That Actually, I listened to that audiobook. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Because it reminded me so much of Mackinac Island. I was like, oh, this is I'm gonna, this is going to resonate with me. And right, it did. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll just drive a copy up to you and come visit the UP, but you already heard it. So <laughs> we can find another reason to get you up here. <laughs> so Stephanie, recently, we originally connected because you reached out about the Women in Hospitality Leadership will, as we refer to it, initiative through the association. And we are in the process of launching the UP chapter. What kind of made you want to get involved with that? Well, I think a community of women is powerful. The UP is, honestly, there's a lot There's a lot of men up here that work in this industry. And I think it's important that women stick together. We, we can form a network of people who can can help each other and support each other in a lot of different ways, whether it just be, you know, mentorship or, or, hey, this is what worked at my hotel, what worked at your hotel and sharing ideas. The Lower Peninsula feels like it's really, really a long ways away. So I think it's important that we women up here in the UP are able to stick together and form our own little chapter and bring whatever we can to each other and support. Definitely. We're really looking forward to continuing to launch that. And you'll be a guest at the uh, upcoming Will Conference in November in Grand Rapids. Maybe we'll get up to the UP at some point for that conference too. I would love that. I know a great hotel. (laughs) I I like that idea, actually. It is my great shame, Stephanie, that we don't have a larger presence in the UP. I'm up there every year with my family and I feel it. I know that there's a huge hospitality industry up there. And we have certainly good members that we are communicative with, phone, Zoom, et cetera. But we don't physically have the infrastructure, I think, that we need to be successful up there. And so it is it is a commitment of mine of, and of the MRLA to, to build that in the coming years. And, and hopefully you'll help us do that. 
Anything I could do. Absolutely. I do think there's a lot of private owners up here. So where, you know, down downstate, you're going to find a lot of larger corporations that own restaurants and hotels up here or restaurant groups up here. It's, you're going to find a lot of individuals. That's yeah. absolutely right. And, and, yeah. and those independents are, are those who, who need us, I think, the most. They don't have that flagship brand like a Marriott to, to rely on on the hotel side and, and, and ditto on the restaurant side as well. So we know it, we feel it, we hear it from some of you. And so we're, we're making our best effort uh, and, and accruing resources now to make sure we can do that. Excellent. Well, I'm happy to be a part of it. I think we can go into the lightning round and wrap it up if that works. Ooh, lightning round. All right. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Got four questions for you. What is your go-to place to visit in Michigan? And I'm going to say Marquette doesn't count. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a given. What's the second? Okay. The beach in Harvey, Michigan. I'm going to the beach. It's, it's close to Marquette. Is that okay? <laughs> Absolutely. Keep it, keep it in the UP. You guys, the truth is I was on vacation the first week in September and I was like, all right, so what do I want to do for vacation? And I don't want to leave the UP. I, I flat out don't want to leave. I was like, I can go visit friends. I can you know, go do. I didn't want to leave especially in September when it's so beautiful. I really, really like it up here. So it's hard for me to say anything outside of Marquette, but there's this beautiful stretch of beach between Munising and Marquette and pretty much any place along that beach is beautiful. In the evening, you'll be able to see the Northern Lights. It's a big sandy beach. There's not a lot of people. You can have the whole beach to yourself. And it's it's just my favorite. I love it up here so much. I was just there this summer. Can't get enough. Yeah. What is the last show that you streamed? This weekend, I fell down a rabbit hole watching something called Escape from the Chateau or Escape to the Chateau, which hmm. is this couple that bought an old abandoned chateau in France and they're fixing it up and using it as a wedding venue. And I'm obsessed with it. So I want, <laughs> I want to be them when I grow up. This doesn't sound like an escape from you. This sounds very similar to what your actual professional life is, is, is probably similar to at least day to day. Oh yeah, probably a little <laughs> bit, but I mean, there it's just beautiful. And um, I, I'm kind of obsessed with it a little bit right now. I've, I'm only on the first season still, but you know, it gives me something to do through the winter. Nice. Is it a reality show? Or- kind of. Yeah, they go through the process, you know, it's this derelict old building, old chateau, you know, it's got a moat and they, you know, kind of do room by room and um, the orangery and it's got a walled garden and yeah, it's pretty much everything I would want in life at that chateau. Very cool. (laughs) Text or phone call? Text if it's quick. If it's something that's going to take more than a sentence or two, give me a call. Okay. And then what's the last song that you listen to? Every single day, I there's not a day that has gone by in probably the last four years that I have not listened to the Hamilton soundtrack. I listen mm. to the Hamilton soundtrack every single day. I love it. I love it too. Yeah, I, I'm I in agreement. <laughs> I, I'm adding one. I'm adding one because we talk a lot about Mackin Island uh, on this podcast. You have a lot of experience of the island. What do you miss the most, and what do you miss the least? From your time on Mackin Island? Oh, I think the thing that I miss the most are my friends. I met a really, really fun group of people to hang out with on the island. And I was a part of that community for eight years. You know, my grad, my daughter graduated from the school there. So, you know, that's amazing. Class class of what? Class of 2018. I mean, like class of how big was her class, graduating class? Oh, four people. Oh, wow. (laughs) Amazing. She had a class of four. She had her pilot's license before her driver's license. 
that is that is signature Mackin Island right there. Yeah. Pilot before yeah. drivers. And what I do not miss is probably the challenge of finding a contractor when you need one. Mm. There's uh, yes. no plumbers on the island. You know, I remember one year on the 4th of July, we had an issue and we called the only plumber that we could find on the 4th of July. And he's like, I'm in a parade right now. Can I call you right back? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here in Marquette, there's contractors everywhere. So it's that is actually um, took a little bit for me to get used to. I Or when you get like a delivery announcement on text that says your, your package is being delivered. It literally is being delivered <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm not going to, when you get those texts, it's like, oh, it's a couple of days away, you know, because it still has to be brought up by horses and stuff. So, so true. Yeah. So true. Well said. And and you're right. The logistics is as magical place as Mackin Island is. The logistics for of everything that we take for granted on on stable ground is yeah. a little longer, a little harder on the yeah. island. Yeah, you guys, you guys had Liz Ware on on your podcast a few episodes ago, and and it, I felt like she was talking to me. I felt everything she was feeling. You know, the the stress of finding employees, H two B visas, housing for people, getting all your supplies over for the. I felt what she was saying, like in my heart like i was like oh liz <laughs> oh honey <laughs> i felt for her yeah it's 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 not an easy job i'm glad i did it eight years was something that i'm proud of i have no regrets and it was definitely a magical time for both me and my daughter to have have been able to live there great well thank you so much stephanie for joining us you survived the the interview hopefully it wasn't too <laughs> grueling <laughs> thank you so much i enjoyed it stephanie this was great hopefully we'll have you back on and, and you have our commitment we're coming up to marquette Awesome. I look forward to it. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.